0: with me. Oh, I should also say this. Uh, The the Young Women's event that we've been planning for the young adults will be postponed until January. Excited about that. You'll be hearing more about that, girls, uh, after the new year. So keep your ears open for that. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Philippians. Um, This is your first time here. We've been going through Matthew uh, on Thursday nights, but we are going to go through a portion of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 this evening. As you're turning there, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read through verses four through, um, 4 through 9 and of chapter 4, and then we'll pray and we'll get into the message this evening. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We know that we are completely dependent upon the work of your Spirit to illuminate your Word to our hearts. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight and illumination to the Word and to the heart of the Father and to the person of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would just speak directly to us. Lord, your Word says that it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of man. Lord, our hearts are deceitfully wicked, your word says, and we need your grace to be able to discern through our emotions, our thoughts, the intentions of our hearts, and we pray that you give us clarity here this evening. Lord, your word says that it uh, has the ability to cleanse our, our hearts and our minds and our ways and to purify us, so Lord, we need that this evening. pray that you go before us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes this evening, what I want to, uh, I guess the title of this message would be The Cure for an Anxious Heart. And I don't want to address this because it is a a hot topic right now um, in culture, in the church even. I want to address it because it's a timeless topic. Um, If we can learn these lessons that this portion of scripture puts before us, Uh, We will grow in our relationship with the Lord, we'll grow in our understanding of our own insufficiencies, and we'll grow in our confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about anxiety. The Bible has a lot to say about our lack of peace in this world, and uh, and, and, and anxious thoughts. Even Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, to not be worried about your life. And that sounds like a really audacious statement. Uh, but for the true Christian, it doesn't mean that we are not prone to worry, because we all know we are. We're all prone to worry about our future. We're all prone to worry about the things that we don't understand. We're prone to worry about what tomorrow may hold. We're prone to be anxious just for the sake of being anxious, because it seems as if everyone in the world right now is dealing with some form or level uh, of anxiety in their life. It doesn't mean that we'll never have anxiety, but what the Lord does tell us is, is... not just not to be anxious, to have no anxious concern over our lives. Thank you, Josh. But to, but but why not to be anxious? And the reason is, is because God cares for us. But what I want to give, what I believe these verses put before us is a road map. Because you and I are going to be tested. You and I are going to find ourselves in, in seasons of extreme mental warfare. Just know that. The Bible says that. The adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The enemy has a plan for your life just as much as God has a plan for your life, and the enemy wants to destroy your life, and he will not be happy or content until you are completely consumed. We need to acknowledge that. And we talk about this a lot on Thursday evenings. We need to conduct ourselves as if we are living in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a a warfare, and we need to be conscious of the, the enemy's devices, but we also need to be confident of the resources that are made available to us in God. The enemy does a great job of putting the counterfeit before us. Have you ever thought about the extent that even all of us, if we're humble enough and transparent enough to acknowledge the lengths that we go to to get peace by the things of this world, Um, I mean people people go to the bottle for the sake of peace Uh, I mean you'll scroll your Instagram feed for a moment of peace of mind to just escape from this world but that's never God's design but they they are false allurements of the enemy uh, of the world to give us a false peace a false hope but Jesus says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's why we love the Lord because He speaks to the heart. He doesn't just address the outward issue; He addresses the inner man. And so, what I want to do tonight is give you something that will be helpful, give you something that you can bring your mind back to, give you give you something practical that you can walk through the Lord with and grow in, and never reach the end of in your relationship with the Lord. But if this is applied. You will experience the power of the Lord. You'll experience the power of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life daily. He says this in Philippians 4, verse 4. This is Paul writing. It's, it's helpful to know where Paul is writing from. He's writing from prison right now. If he had any, wor- any reason to be anxious or concerned, it was, it was Paul. If he had any reason to stop doing what God was calling him to do, uh, he had a reason he was thrown in prison, and he but if you would read chapter one, he would say, "I just want you to know don't be discouraged by my chains. be encouraged by my chains because everyone around me has received the Lord because the Lord has saw it fit to throw me into prison So he saw beyond the circumstances to the Lord that the Lord was the one that put him in prison he He would call himself a prisoner of the Lord. There's one person that had no reason to rejoice it was Paul, because he was in prison, and yet in in the season in which he could find in which no one would shame him for not rejoicing, he chooses to rejoice and he exhorts the believers that he loved in Philippi to rejoice. Look at verse 4. He says, Rejoice, notice, in the Lord always. This is such a simple point, but rarely do we reach the depths of it. So often we're consumed with our lack that we're not consumed with everything that is ours in Christ. He says, rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. You, you, certainly you can't rejoice in someone you don't know. All of your suffering, all of your difficulty, all of your inward t- turmoil and distress, all of your external challenges are all opportunities for you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. Keep this in mind because it's a ba- basic biblical principle. In the midst of suffering, deliverance only comes not when suffering stops but when there's a greater revelation of the person of Jesus Christ that you would not have come to apart from your suffering. So Paul says rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the one that you say is the Lord of your life that is leading, that is guiding, that is shepherding you. He is a good shepherd but the question is do you know him? Maybe we're coming to the end of a year, and, I, and I'm not the biggest fan of New Year's resolutions, but I do think the end of the year is a great opportunity to examine where we fell short, right? The Bible tells us if you would examine yourself, you'd have no reason to be examined. It'd be wise to examine um, where we have fallen short in our relationship with the Lord. Where are we lacking? Did, did we... Did we desire at one point to lay aside every weight, all the sin that ensnares us, and to pursue him and him only, to love him supremely, and somewhere along the road, we got tripped up with some ulterior motive and some distraction. It doesn't, it's no benefit to bring pretense into your relationship with the Lord. The Bible says everything lays naked and open before him. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows knows the why behind everything you do. But let that be the passion of your life. That's what Jesus said in, in John chapter 17 when he was getting ready to go to the cross. He's praying to the Father. He says, I've finished the work which you've called me to do. Glorify yourself. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We should never stop being in awe and amazement of the access we have to God through Christ. We should never stop being in awe of the wonder of the cross and what it really means. In Christmas season, if you've ever seen a child, just born, fresh child, God became that for you. When we, the only time we become allured by the world is when we get bored of Christ. And the only time we get bored of Christ is when we stop spending time with Him. And it was when we stop getting to know him and allowing him to expose our hearts to us and his heart to us so that we can grow in this loving relationship. And only then will you rejoice. You'll find reason to rejoice in the Lord. Notice, always. There's always reason to rejoice. There's always a reason for thankfulness and gratitude. There's always a reason to rejoice in the Lord. First cure to your anxiety, rejoice in him. First cure to your suffering, rejoice in him. Rejoice in the truth that he is sovereign over it all. Rejoice in the truth that it is His loving hand that is saw fit to put you in the season. Rejoice in the truth that He has delivered us, He does deliver us, and He's going to deliver us. Rejoice in the truth that you're more than conquerors through Christ. Rejoice in the truth that He's for you and He's not against you. Rejoice in the truth that He's leading, guiding, and protecting you. Rejoice in all these things always. But it demands focus. It demands a singleness of mind and a heart. It demands your, your attention. And he says this, again, I will say, rejoice. And he says this word in verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness, the word means graciousness or forbearance, let your gentleness be known to all men. That is not a characteristic that the world highly esteems right now but it's the characteristic of Christ. We talked about this last week. His meekness. He doesn't break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. He encourages, let your gentleness be known to all men. And here's this second point of our cure to an anxious heart. He says, the Lord is at hand. we we don't hear it enough and we don't we don't live with this expectancy that the lord is coming and his return is imminent i'll pose this question to you what problem do you have that won't be solved by the rapture there's not one to be in the absent from the body and be present with the lord to be caught up in the lord forever to be with him that's what all of this is about this is what all your suffering is about. This is what all your relationship with the Lord is about. That's why all your resisting of temptation is about. Because you know there's a better day coming. You know that all of this is temporary. You know that there'll be a day when when all of this earthly stuff it fades away, that that your your sin nature will be gone. You'll be, you won't have to strive with the, the battle of the mind, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life the discouragements of this world, the grind and the hustle and the turmoil. You won't have to deal with it anymore. That's what we are looking for. Understand this, that every pursuit in this world, once it is actually obtained, only leads you to more emptiness. He tells them, rejoice in the Lord, but have this understanding that He is at hand. He is coming. His return is imminent. And that is what you are to be looking for. He'll take take care of everything else in your life. He'll take care of all your needs. He'll take care of all, he, he will fulfill the desires in your heart. He will perfect that which concerns you. He will complete the work that is begun in you. But are you looking for him? When Jesus comes, will he find a church that is actually, that actually believes that he will return at any minute and for those who have rejected him will be subjected to the, to the wrath of God poured out upon this world? It's a matter of perspective. And the moment we lose a biblical perspective is the moment we lose hope. And when we lose hope, anxiety fills the heart and the mind, and we become downcast. We have to keep this hope. It is a living hope. He is our hope. And then he says this. This is where we're going to spend a majority of our time in verses 6 and 7, because I believe it's the great need in the church today that the church Would gain a burden for prayer. He says, "This be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, and nothing means nothing. And this is not what this in the language. I know it's free information. You probably don't care. But in the language, the Greek, it's it's a present active imperative, which means it's a command." Some of us read our Bibles and we think that just the Ten Commandments are commandments or just the Sermon on the Mount are the commandments. This is a command. Do not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Well, you would respond to that. I have a lot of reasons, and there's things in my life that in my flesh I believe that I have reason to be anxious for. Real problems. If the Lord doesn't untangle certain things in my life, that things could turn really bad really quick. And even in that, the Lord says, don't be anxious. And you say, that's an impossibility. But the Lord says, no, it's not. He says, but in everything by prayer. But in everything by prayer. I don't say this to condemn, trust me. Because I don't think we will ever attain in our relationship with the Lord as long as we're here on this earth to the prayer life that we should be living. But I do believe that prayer is the most powerful resource that has been given to us. Have you ever thought that God obligates himself to your prayers? He says, ask, seek, knock. Asking you will receive, seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. What's the condition of your prayer life? Do you have a time of prayer? Do you have a time of of intercession? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray without ceasing. That means to be in constant communication with God. To be constantly praying. Have you ever thought, as the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, to cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Have you ever thought that the care, the anxiety you have in your life is divinely ordained by God to you because it's that thing that's going to keep you close to him. It's that burden, that concern, that source of anxiety in your life is the only thing that will keep you praying. It's the only thing that will keep you close to him. And so he sees fit to leave it there. Because he longs to hear from you that much. And he longs for you to know that you can't do it only to find out that he can. And everything by prayer. Prayer is not, not we, we got to understand the, the means and the motive of prayer. It's the accomplishing, it is the means by which God accomplishes his work here on earth. And by the means by which his kingdom is built. It's a means in which we align our hearts with the will of God and we begin to pray effectively. If you would read from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that the Bible is a book of praying people. The prayers of his people. The, the overwhelming evidence that God answers the prayers of those who call unto him. But are you calling unto him? I think if the enemy, I don't think, I know. I know if the enemy can discourage you in prayer, the enemy has completely stunted your growth in Christian maturity. Because this is the one area we need to pray in. And, and, and I'll say this because, I'll take the liberty to say this because I've been where you've been. If you're single here today, you have no greater opportunity than to get alone with God. Because if you say, well, when I when I get married, I'll pray. No, you will not. Trust me. <laughs> and then when you have kids and you pray, then you're really not going to pray. If you can't hone this in and learn to love to get alone with God right now, it's only going to get harder. I'm purposefully being practical because sometimes... We can um, despise our singleness and we can despise things in our lives, but look at the blessing. You have the freedom to be able to go home tonight, take what you've heard and apply it alone by yourself and get alone with God. If you're single here tonight. You have opportunity before you to, it's not that married people don't, it's not that I don't, it's just you gotta be a little bit more precise in your timing there's like kids that cry out all hours of the night <laughs> in needs learn to pray learn to pray learn to love to pray learn to love the one that you are praying to and watch God dramatically change your life you've heard the old hymn oh what needless pain we bear all because we don't bend our knee in prayer. It's a shame that it takes us so long to pray. Pastor Chuck would say this often, if prayer is your first resort, you'll never get to your last resort. You should, you should be a praying person, but again, what is the purpose of prayer? It's to align your heart with the heart of the, heart of the Father, the will of God. God puts His desires in your hearts. So you, you, you pray and you see an answer to prayer. You should be seeing your prayers answered daily. But are you, the the Lord speaks in the still small voice. There was a man in the Bible, his name was Elijah. His heart was full of anxiety and he asked the Lord to take his life. He says, it's enough now, Lord, kill me, take my life. I I no longer want to live. This was a man who spoke for God. This was a man who called fire down from heaven. This was the man who killed the, the false prophets of Baal. In the next chapter, later, he's asking the Lord to take his life. And the Lord ministers to him and he leaves and he's in the, in the cave and it says that first a fire came, the Lord wasn't in the fire, then the wind came and the Lord wasn't in the wind, an earthquake came and the Lord was not in the earthquake and a still small voice came. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? But do you get quiet enough to hear the still small voice? Do you get quiet enough to hear his heartbeat? Do you know what, if you're a believer here tonight, you should not be confused about the will of God. You should not be confused about what God wants for you. You should not be confused about the things in your life that are not pleasing to him that he wants to empower you to overcome. You should not be confused about his desires for you, but you will be confused if you forsake your prayer life. There's power in prayer. And it's a resource that is given to us to accomplish his work and his will in our lives. In Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow, he says he spoke this parable that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. But what hinders our prayer life? The condition of our heart, the weariness of a heart, the discouragement. I've said this before, I'll say it again discouragement's demonic. And it's a tool of the enemy to keep you from praying and and being unbelieving and and not not really, really believing that God is going to answer what you're praying for. You know the Bible says to ask in faith without doubting. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. He talks about in James chapter one, don't ask in doubting, ask in faith, believe and and i and we we are we have gone so uh, opposed to the health wealth name it and proclaim it doctrine that we we go so far to the other side that we don't even believe in prayer any longer and that's just as unbiblical god desires for you to be believing when you pray because only believing prayer secures the blessings of god be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and this is the second word It's supplication. It's a form of prayer. It's specific prayers. You have specific needs in your life. You can go on and run on in your life without addressing these needs, but eventually you will burn out. Eventually you will fail. Eventually you will be discouraged. And eventually you will come to the end of yourself. Those things that plague your heart and mind daily, they need to be addressed directly to God consistently until you receive an answer. Until you, you rec- receive the word of the Lord to your life. In supplication, notice, with thanksgiving. These are all forms of prayer. To be, have an attitude of thankfulness in your prayers. It says, let your requests be made known to God. And the result is this. And the peace of God. That's, that's what you want. You don't want the peace of this world. You want the peace of God which surpasses understanding. In other words, God gives you peace in situations that you should have none. That's Paul, he's in prison. He knows he's going to be beheaded. He knows that people want to kill him, but he has the peace of God upon his life. And if you don't have the peace of God in your life, you really need to examine your life. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that the peace of God is to to rule in our hearts. If you don't have the peace of God in a relationship, you need to get out of the relationship. If you don't have the peace of God where, where you're at in your place of employment, you need to get out. If you don't have the peace of God in, 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 as you're entertaining certain sin in your life, you need, to get, you need to get away from it. You need to let it go. God has called us to peace. And if you don't have peace, I'll say this, you're not in the will of God. Because in God's perfect will, there's perfect peace. But perfect peace is the result of a heart that is surrendered to him in prayer. God has called us to a relationship with himself. There's peace in a relationship when you know the heart of the one that you're in a relationship with. When there's no confusion, but so many of us are so content to be confused because we're not praying. We're not we're not presenting our supplications, these very specific needs of our heart before the Lord. I'll say this, none of us, some of us, have not gotten alone with God long enough to let him reveal to us our heart. Not his, ours. We, we this fast-paced society that we live in is not biblical. God doesn't move in our lives like that. We want to scroll a feed, we want to get instant notifications when everything is instant. The Lord demands that we wait upon him. We spend time with him. You can hurry in everything else in your life, but you, if you rush away from time alone with him, you're not going to know his heart, you're not going to experience his power, and you're not going to have his peace in your life. This is so grassroots and I'm, and I'm being elementary on purpose because as Paul would say, I, I don't find it tedious to remind you of these things. It's always the simple things that are gonna keep you. It's always a reminder. No, there, there needs to be a diligent time set aside in your relationship with God where your phone is away from you, where no one can get to you, where no one can intrude upon and you are alone with him daily. You need to be plugged into the source. Pastor Rawls uses this analogy all the time. If you don't plug your phone into the wall, it's not going to have any charge. If we're not plugged into this relationship with Jesus and just waiting with him, we're not going to have any power. There's no power in our life apart from having a living and vibrant prayer life in the closet alone with God. The Lord talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. Go into your prayer closet. You, what the Father sees in secret, He Himself will, will reward openly. But if you're not alone with Him, you're not going to have His peace. The result of, a, of an effective prayer life is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And it says it will guard your hearts and your minds. I don't know about you, but I need my heart and my, guard, my mind to be guarded from myself first. You, you are your own worst enemy. It's not the world. It's not Satan. It's you. I am my own worst enemy. The flesh is our own worst enemy. And I need my heart to be guarded from my own sinfulness. I need my mind to be guarded from my own sinfulness. The corruptness of my vain imagination if it is not hedged in by God, is wicked and destructive to my spiritual life. And if we feed that by the world, by everything that is inundating our minds from, the, from this world, if we feed that continually, no wonder you have no peace in your life. If you're constantly feeding the flesh in entertaining the world, you'll never have peace in your life. But if you're living a life of prayer, if you're, if you're diligent about the guarding of your heart, the Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs issues of life. The peace of God will guard your heart. The word in the Greek, it will garrison. It's a picture of a Roman legion surrounding and protecting your heart and your mind from the attacks of the enemy. And that's what God's peace will do. but so We want it instantly, but the Bible just told us it's only obtained through prayer. Notice what he says in verse 8, and we will close here, because Christians in the past had a disciplined thought life not for the sake of having a disciplined thought life, but understanding the ruin that they would be in if their thought life was left to their own. Why do you think the enemy, it, we're, we are so easily distracted. We're so easily distracted from the presence of God. We're so easily uh, distracted from the things of God. You know, our, our minds are the means in which God communicates with us, right? So that's why the enemy does everything he can to throw distractions our way. And he says this, finally, brethren, this, this is supposed to be the content of your mind as a believer. And I read, I'm just letting this wash over me right now. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself right now. And how often do I, do I find myself not here? He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's anything, excuse me, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This word meditate means to continually think on these things. You have to have a disciplined mind. The Holy Spirit's only going to draw out what you put in Jesus is true, Jesus is noble, Jesus is just, Jesus is pure, Jesus is lovely, Jesus is always of a good report, Jesus is always virtuous, and he is always praiseworthy, so we should be meditating on him. Our minds should be completely given over to this, not to this world, but to the Lord. Right, Colossians says this, set your mind on things above. Have you ever, have you ever really tried to do that? Have you ever like, actually engaged in the warfare and chosen to take your thoughts captive and reject worldly f- fleshly thoughts and to put your thoughts on the Lord? That's what we're called to. That was the promise that the Lord gave to Joshua. If you, if you meditate on these things, if you meditate on the word, then you will have good success in this promised land. We are in the promised land. Heaven is not the promised land. We are in the promised land. It's a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. But there are giants. And you're only going to have victory to the degree in which you give your mind over to God. He wants to cleanse your mind, but you have to allow him to cleanse your mind. We're, we're about to go into Christmas, and I doubt if anyone will say anything about this, but if you read through the Song of Mary, after she was told that she will um, be the, the mother of the Messiah, that she will bring the Messiah into this world, part of her psalm says, I will magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. What does that mean? What do, what does a, how, how do you magnify something with it? What does a magnifying glass do? It makes it bigger. That's what we're supposed to do in our mind. We're, we're supposed to magnify the Lord over our circumstances, over our ideas, over the thoughts of the enemy, over the things of this world. The Lord is supposed to be magnified within our minds. What is it? How do you, ma- you, you also magnify something by looking through, through, through a microscope and it, and it shows you the, the details of things. That's what Philippians 4.8 is talking about. Let the, let the Lord be magnified in your mind so you are examining the details of who He is in your life. I'll close with this encouragement. You and I have been called to serve the Lord in the most wicked generation to ever walk the face of this earth. I don't know if you've given any thought to that. The Bible says, as in the days of Noah... I mean, you, you look at demonic perversion to a degree that the world has never seen, and that is what you and I are going to are actually living in right now. We're, we're living in days of mass deception, demonic influence. And the Lord wants to raise people up to go preach the gospel, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to change the world. For him, but all through the Bible, sometimes we think we're the one seeking God, but He's the one seeking us. In Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, He says, "The Lord says, I sought for myself a man or a woman who would stand in the gap, but He says I, I found no one." Isaiah fifty-nine, verse sixteen: I sought for someone who would stand in the gap and to intercede but I found no one. The Lord is looking at you here tonight saying, will you take the mantle? Will you live a life of prayerfulness? Will you give your mind over to him enough so that he can speak to you? Have you heard the voice of God lately? Have you heard from him say, go share with that person? Go pray for that person. Go encourage that person. Have you experienced the leading of the Holy Spirit? The book of Acts hasn't stopped. We've stopped. We've grieved the Holy Spirit in our life. You want Holy Spirit Christianity? You want to experience the book of Acts? To what degree are you surrendered? To what degree do you give Him your mind? Paul would say, I determined to know nothing in my life except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is He everything to you? The, the, the Christianity that is perpetuated in the world today and on many social media platforms today is not Christianity. He's either Lord of all, you've heard it, it's cliche, or, or he's not your Lord at all. He's either Lord of your thought life, he's either the Lord of your life while you're alone, he's either the Lord of your life when, he, when you are in, in your conversation with your friends, or he's, he's not your Lord. We need to examine ourselves as we walk into this year. We need to examine our prayer lives. And then you will find the root and the cause of the great degree of anxiety in your heart and your mind. But you also find delight in walking through the process in which peace is obtained. You know what that's called? It's called revival. Revival. Miracles, signs, and wonders, that's not revival. That's the fruit of revival, but that's not revival. When we say we revive something, what is it? We brought it back. We brought a person. We revived a person. We brought them back. They were almost going to die, and then we brought, back, we brought them back to life. Is that your spiritual condition today? You can be honest. I say that, Lord, revive me again according to your spirit, O oh Lord. To be acknowledged, I'm dying, Lord. I need you. I need you to revive. I need you to revive me. Do you? It, like again, let's get really simple. Do you enjoy reading the Bible? Do you enjoy time alone with God? If you don't, you need to be honest with Him and say, "Lord, I just be honest. I, I don't enjoy spending time with You anymore. In fact, I don't even desire to be alone with You. I need You to put that desire in my heart. I need You to revive me. I need You to breathe life into me. I need You to." Revive this dead and wicked heart, Lord. I want to be used by you and I want to experience your power. Or you can go the way of the world because the Lord is at hand and he will come. And he is coming soon. But he wants to meet your need. He wants you, he wants you to experience his peace. He wants you to experience his power. He wants you to live a life of intimate fellowship and a relationship with him. So that you can experience love And to be a conduit of his love to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simplicity of truth. Here this evening, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the understanding that you give us. Your compassion towards us, Lord. Lord, I I do ask that you would give us a heart that delights to do your will. Lord, we know that you're empathetic. That you're compassionate towards this world that you called us to live in. Lord, light us on fire for you, Lord. And let it be real. Let it be genuine, Lord. Let it last. Start, start a fire in our hearts, Lord, that will, that will burn away the sin. Lord, that will empower us and that will cause us to shine as lights for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand.